Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. This is the sound of 230,000 homes being powered by wind. And this? A light illuminated by organic waste. By 2030, our renewable energy will power one-third of Irish homes. Now you're hearing our restored peatlands quietly capturing carbon over the coming years as we look to lead the way in meeting Ireland's climate action targets. Big change sometimes happens quietly. Learn more at boardnamona.ie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Point, Planet F1's very own podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the 2020 Portuguese Grand Prix, which uh, is something we definitely didn't think we'd be doing at the start of the season. Uh, I'm your host, Finley Crabolder, and as always, joining me is uh, Planet F1 editor, Michelle Foster. First of all, Michelle, first Formula One Grand Prix at Portimao. What did you think of it? Good track? I have to say it was quite a fantastic track, Finley. I mean, the elevation to it was just was just incredible. I mean, uh, it made you think if you were uh, <clears throat> 10 or so many years younger, how awesome it would be to take a skateboard or something like that around it. But uh, yeah, it was it was a really good race. I mean, at the front we had the usual shebang going on, but behind them there was some awesome overtakes and stuff. And I get a lot of it was through the, like the DRS and with the DRS help. But yeah, I, I have to say I quite enjoyed this one. I, I kind of saw it as Barcelona on steroids, basically. <laughs> you know, it was uh, yeah. I think the elevation changes were they're uh, amazing and a dream for the cameramen as well because they got a lot of shots for it. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at the onboard cameras there, ugh, makes your stomach turn. It feels like a roller coaster. Um, but yeah, like you said, obviously there wasn't um, too much action at the front. Um, but unfortunately, that is really where we have to start when uh, going through everything. Because, I mean, yeah, again, Lewis Hamilton was dominant and he's now officially Formula One's most prolific race winner ever. I mean, you know, last time out we spoke a lot about the record and what it means because... Uh, he leveled it. So there's not too much more to say on that in that regard. But um, no, of his 92 wins, 
in terms of the gap to P2, at least, this was one of his most dominant, wasn't it? Uh, the win was absolutely bonkers. I mean, when you consider the fact that he had dropped behind Bortus on the opening lap, um, and they both dropped behind Carlos Sainz, and I mean, he was actually made to work for it at least a little bit. But once he got his nose in front, it was just, it was pure gold. It was Hamilton at his best, 25 seconds ahead of the sister Mercedes, it's, it's absolutely incredible what this guy can do in a Formula One car. 92 wins, a, a new new world record, new F1 record, new, like, wow. It was just crazy, you know. Obviously, Carlos Sainz somehow took the lead at the start. Um, Bottas passed Hamilton, and then Bottas got into the lead. And for the first 15 laps, Bottas was leading by, you know, maintaining a gap of two to three seconds and looking fairly comfortable. And then it, it, it seemed like Hamilton just sort of... Uh, kind of bored in second, I'm going to put my foot down. And he just stormed past him and, yeah, opened up a gap of almost 30 seconds by the end of the race, um, which is just unbelievable, you know, because it's Valtteri Bottas. It's, it, he's no slouch, he's no rookie. Um, and Hamilton made him look like that, really. 92 wins, 35 years of age, uh, stable regulations next year, so he's going to have an equally dominant car again. What number do you think he's going to end on at this point in terms of wins? Oh, at the moment, it's it's almost impossible to say. I mean, next year they're they're aiming for what looks like a 22 race provisional calendar. So, I mean, let's give Hamilton half of those. There's another 11 on board. He could easily win another three, if not even four, this season. So, yeah, I mean, by the end of next year, he'll be past 110. So let's see if he signs for another two or another three years with Mercedes. And then, yeah, it's... It's unbelievable to think of the numbers that he's achieving. I mean, like Sebastian Vettel with his four world titles, he's only sitting on 53. And here comes Lewis Hamilton. And yeah, next year is going to be title number eight. I mean, unless something goes horribly wrong. And yeah, potentially 110 wins by the end of next season. Maybe 130 when it's all said and done. Who knows? I mean... He's so incredible and he's loving it. I mean, he, he was saying after the race, like every win, it, it's a different journey. It's a different experience. It, there's a different excitement to it. And to be feeling that after 92 wins, it's just it's just something phenomenal. It's He looks just as motivated and just as fit uh, and just as, I mean, yeah, just as up for the job as he was when he first joined the grid uh, in 2008. And I mean... That's a pretty amazing thing, you know, you've really got to love what you do to still be up for it, especially when, you know, you're at the front, you don't really have a challenge. You'd think maybe you get a bit bored of that, but uh, no, nah, he's, um, I mean, he's driving as well as ever, I'd say, performance-wise. Um, in terms of the title, I think I think everybody knows that the title's wrapped up by now. It's just a matter of time. I think the earliest he could win it would be at Turkey, Um do you expect him to win it there, or do you think he, you know, maybe we've seen it before? Once he's kind of wrapped things up, his his levels dropped a bit. Um, do you expect that to happen this year? Yeah, you know, I I think he'll probably come out, you know, at Imola and win that one, throw Turkey into the mix, and then and then pretty much take the next the next three races easy. You know, I mean, shame Buddhist deserves some sort of consolation, so you might as well throw him a win or two at the end of the championship. Yeah, why not? Why not? You know, need to keep Bottas happy so he can be a good number two, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's really not too much left to say about Hamilton. Just uh, what an achievement, what a driver, what a performance it was. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, outside of Mercedes, I'd say the two biggest talking points this time um, come from the other two of the traditional top three, Ferrari and Red Bull. It's, uh, it's like being in 2019 again. Um, and in some ways, for Ferrari, uh, it's one of the few times this season where we can talk about them positively. Uh, it wasn't all good, as we'll get on to, but uh, Charles Leclerc, he finished P4 comfortably, a long way ahead of the rest of the midfield. Uh, he started P4, and he was generally in the top six all weekend uh, in terms of pace. What do you think in terms of, you know, the car performance? Is there signs of progress for Ferrari? Definitely signs of progress for Ferrari. They've been bringing a couple of small updates here and there um, and making sure that each one does what it's supposed to do rather than bringing a whole big shebang and pretty much hoping for the best. In which case, you know, if you bring a whole bunch of updates at one race and something goes wrong, you can't really tell what's gone wrong. So their idea to just bring small little things each time, it's working for them at the moment. Um, Charles Leclerc's performance this weekend and Ferrari's as well was especially good because of the fact that he was able to carry that pace in through, to, through into the race. You know, in, in kind of the last couple of weeks, he's been qualifying okay and then going backwards in the race. But yeah, P4 to P4, there, there's a lot that Ferrari has to be, to be, I suppose, in some way grateful for as well, you know, that things are finally showing signs of life and signs of improvement. Yeah, it's definitely a sign of improvement. It's um, The car looked a lot better than it has all season, really, in the hands of Charles Leclerc, um, which is a key point, I'd say, because, again, Sebastian Vettel, he looked far from his old self. You know, we know that last season showed that Leclerc can match Vettel and maybe get the better of him, but um, not to this degree, you know, I mean... Leclerc was comfortably P4, as Vettel scraped into P10, really, after getting past Kimi Raikkonen, who he seems to be up against every race at this point, which I don't think he would have been too happy about at the start of the season, really. The team claims that they have the same car. Mattia Bonotto was pretty harsh, I'd say, you know, after the race. He said, yes, they have the same car. I think we should just be expecting a bit more from our second driver. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Do you agree with the claim that they have the identical car or do you think there is some uh, some preferential treatment going on to Leclerc in terms of what they're driving? Yeah, I think even if they do have the identical car, what Ferrari have in this year's car is a car that's a bit more designed to Charles Leclerc's driving style. I mean, to see Vettel so far off the pace from a teammate is just, it's absolutely bonkers. Only once before has he ever been beaten by a teammate, which I think was Daniel Ricciardo in 2014. Seb isn't a driver who is eight tenths behind his teammates. So you get the impression there has to be something going on. So he came out after the race and basically said he's been having to bite his tongue. Only an idiot wouldn't figure out that something's something's up and, and he's not an idiot. Yeah. Uh, 24 hours later, he's now come out saying, I trust Ferrari, I love Ferrari, we're all working towards a happy ending. And, you know, he's hoping the next five races are an improvement. But it's just, like I said, it's so weird to see Vettel so far off the pace that you kind of get the feeling like there must be something going on. And, I mean, if it's a case of Ferrari designed this car with Leclerc in mind, then, you know, admit it, open up to it, be honest about it, rather than people looking at Seb going, what what the hell is going on? Yeah, I really, I, I don't get why they wouldn't just admit that, you know, Um I mean, Red Bull, for example, they're pretty open about the fact that their car is 
largely built for Verstappen, hence why Albon and Gasly struggle with it so much. You know, they say it's a difficult car to drive. It suits Verstappen, but maybe not other drivers. That's clearly does seem to be the case at Ferrari, assuming that Vettel and Leclerc's cars are identical. So, yeah, why not just come out and say it? Because it reflects well on Leclerc, definitely. But it also is, um, I mean, it makes Vettel look like it's just a complete slouch, really. Um, which I don't know. Personally, I don't think he is. Qualifying says it all, really. Leclerc got to P4, whereas Vettel, I think, started P14, 10 places down, which is, yeah, it's a pretty big, pretty big gap. Um, I, I don't know. Looking at it, is there... Is there any doubt in your mind that Vettel is, is still the driver that, you know, we saw, um, I mean, 2017, 2018, obviously he kind of screwed up his title challenge but he against Hamilton, but he was still driving at, a, you know, a very high level. Um, is that driver still there, do you think? I think so. I really, and I really hope so as well, you know, we'll know more when he heads to Aston Martin next season. I mean, this year's Ferrari, it's it's got a bit of a loose rear end, it's, which is a bit snappy and stuff, which Seb doesn't particularly like. And that seems to suit, suit Charles Leclerc. So I'm hoping when he does change teams uh, and when he gets a more stable car, we'll see the Vettel of old. Whether there are going to be race wins in that or, or just podiums, you know, we don't know. But yeah, I'd, I'd hate to see Vettel's reputation ruined by a season such as this one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the right way to go out, really, for a driver of that level. But, um, I don't know, judging by Lance Stroll's performances this weekend, uh, Vettel should at least be maybe be able to get the better of his teammate next year. In terms of Ferrari next year, obviously, you know, it, it does seem pretty clear that this car's built for Leclerc. He's definitely is the number one driver. He's really the golden boy there, came through the academy and everything. So do you think Carlos Sainz is going to be facing the same issues as Vettel next season in terms of having a car that doesn't suit him and not be not being treated equally? Yeah, I, I, you know, Sainz has come out several times saying Ferrari are going to love me as much as they love Charles. Ferrari have come out saying the exact same. Uh, you just don't see it happening. I mean, one of them's got a long-term contract, the other's on two years probation. And for, yeah, Ferrari have all their eggs in the Charlotte Leclerc basket. So Carlos Sainz better get used to being a number two. You know, at the moment at McLaren, it's very much equal footing between himself and Lando Norris. So I think he's in for a bit of a rude awakening next season. Yeah, it's hard It's hard not to see it that way, really, um, because there is a lot of politics at Ferrari. Um, I don't think I can't remember the last time drivers were treated equally at Ferrari. And um, yeah, ultimately, Leclerc's Ferrari Academy, born and bred, whereas signs, well, he's from Red Bull originally. Um, so I think it's a pretty clear agenda for Ferrari to give Leclerc to to keep Leclerc as the number one driver. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. It would be great if we could see them go head-to-head with equal equipment and equal treatment. Yeah, Vettel's not the only struggling teammate in on the grid at the moment. He's perhaps not even the most struggling teammate on the grid, which is quite a surprise considering how he's performed. But that title probably does go to Alex Albon, who, um, you know, in a quicker car than Vettel, actually finished behind him. Um while well, his teammate Verstappen once again cruised home to P3, as he has so often done this season, Albon ended in, I believe it was P12, and he never looked particularly close to getting in the points, really. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pierre Gasly, P5, Sergio Perez, P7, arguably, along with Leclerc, the two drivers of the day, and they're also two drivers who want to be in that Red Bull seat next season. Um, I mean, is there any doubt in your mind at this point, Michelle, that... If we include Hulkenberg as well, 
if Albon is the worst of those four options for Red Bull next year? Albon is by far the worst of those options. Um, if I was being polite, I would say he had a horrid weekend. If I'm being honest, I'm going to say he had a crap one. It was it was really bad. He was lapped by Max as well. And that, uh, as Pierre Gasly knows, is never a good thing to have happen because you might soon find yourself unemployed. Red Bull are again saying, you know, we're sticking with Alex, but now there's a but to the end of that sentence with the team saying, but if he doesn't improve in the next five races, then we're looking at the driver market. Uh, and they're specifically looking at Perez and Hulkenberg. For some reason, that befuddles pretty much everybody but Christian Horner, Helmut Marko, and probably Max Verstappen. Pierre Gasly is not in the running for that seat. In fact, it sounds like he's never going to be in the running for that seat. Uh, Marco has said that he will be an AlphaTauri driver next season, full stop, end of story, and Red Bull will decide between Alex and, and somebody outside the family. And, I, I mean, I find that absolutely shocking. I mean, like you say, Pierre Gasly had another fantastic weekend. He was sixth last time out. He was fifth now. He won the Italian Grand Prix. There's very little that Pierre Gasly is doing wrong, and yet Red Bull, for some reason, have just decided no. Yeah? And I'd really love to know why. Yeah, that's the question everyone's asking, isn't it? You know, Paul DeResta came out and said that he's upset someone at Red Bull. Um, that has to be either Max Verstappen or Helmut Marko, you'd think, considering they're really the two that would have any kind of say in uh, the driver lineup there. There must be a story there, because... In terms of performances, he's he's the dream Red Bull young driver at the moment. You know, he's, I'd you know, along with Daniel Ricciardo, maybe I'd call him my driver of the season at this point. Um, he's part of the Red Bull Academy, which is obviously preferable for when Red Bull hire a driver. So, yeah, there must be a, there must be a real story there, I think. But like you said, uh, they are considering Perez and Hulkenberg, and I don't know personally. I'd say that Nico Hulkenberg's probably the favorite for that seat at the moment unless Albon picks up picks up the pace because um I mean you know we know Verstappen and Hulkenberg get on well uh we you know you see them speaking Dutch a lot on the grid before Hulkenberg left Perez hit well Perez and Verstappen hit this weekend which Verstappen wasn't too happy about either so I don't know in terms of I'd say that Hulkenberg is the favorite for that seat I agree with you there. I think his relationship with Max is what is what's going to land him that seat if they do decide to to eventually drop Alex Alvin. Um, you can argue the fact that Perez comes with a lot of sponsorship, but a lot of that sponsorship money actually goes on his own salary. Uh, Nico's never really had sponsorship behind him, but like you say, they're good friends, uh, and I think that's what's going to win the day. I mean, there's very little to tell between Perez and Hulkenberg. Yes, I get Perez's podiums, whereas... For some reason, Nico Hulkenberg has never managed to do that. But he is a driver who can put it on the podium. You know, he, he just needs the right car. And yeah, I think it'd be awesome to watch him in a Red Bull next season. Yeah, it really would. It would be, uh, I mean, he showed this season just how good a driver he is, you know, doing so well with zero preparation uh, or anything. So... Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a better he's definitely a better option than Albon. To be honest, I don't think anybody can debate that at this point. Not even, not even Albon's biggest fans. Um, but I don't know. It still is kind of hard to see happening, isn't it? Such as is, you know the stubbornness of Helmut Marco. Um, 
Do you think? Do you think it will? I mean, I guess if Albon puts in more performances like he has for the last two races, it's kind of going to force Red Bull's hand. Uh, I'm shocked that they didn't announce on Monday morning that he was out. I mean, that was just such a horrid race weekend for him. He he was off the pace. He was awful. Uh, prior to the weekend, I think uh, I think Christian Horner had said, like, listen, he's got two races to prove himself. And in the very first one, he, he absolutely botched it. So I would be I'd be really shocked. I mean, Red Bull's a team that needs to be fighting for the championship. They need someone who can support Max in the development of the car. Uh, and in taking the fights to Mercedes, and they don't have that in Alex. I mean, yes, this is his first full year, but he did have, I think it was nine races last season as well. And looking in from the outside, he just hasn't made the progress that the team needed him to make. If he does lose his seat, which, um, I mean, could happen at this point, you know, if he keeps performing like this, does that mean he loses his seat in F1 completely? Because, I mean, Gasly's tied down to AlphaTauri next year. Uh, I mean, they'd be crazy to drop him. And they're pretty keen, it seems, on getting Yuki uh, Sonoda in the other seat from Formula 2. So do you think if they do end up dropping Albon, then they they put put a hold on Sonoda's plans to go to Formula 1 and stick Albon there? Or is he just gone from gone from the grid completely? No, I think he might actually be gone for the, from the grid completely. And I think potentially this is why Red Bull are giving him as many chances as possible because they realize that this this is going to be the consequence. You know, I mean, he was all ready to join another series. Red Bull realized that they didn't have a second driver for Toro Rosso, oh, sorry, Alfa Tori last season. So they called up Alex and now two years later, they're they have potentially telling him that his Formula One career is over. So to me, that's the only reason why they could be continuing with him at the moment. Is just hoping to give him that chance. But yeah, if he doesn't make it, he's not going down to Alfa Tori. Uh, it really does look like Yoki will be taking the second seat alongside Gaz. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough world, Formula One. You know, next season we could be... Alex Albon could be out of the picture and George Russell could be out of the picture, which is uh, it's crazy, crazy to think when you look at the end of last season. They were considered two of the most exciting young drivers around. Um but like you said, Albon now has, I mean, well, now, if we go in by Christian Horner's word, which often isn't the best thing to do, then uh, he's got one race left to impress. Uh, and that will be at Imola. Yes, we've got the Imola Grand Prix next. I can't remember the actual name of it. It's very long-winded. Not the San Marino Grand Prix for reasons that I don't really know. Um, and it's just a week away. Obviously, it's it's not like Portimao. It has hosted a Formula One Grand Prix before. Um, quite a few, as a matter of fact. But... It hasn't been for a while. Um, it's just a quick one. What are your What are your memories of the track? What are your thoughts of it? Is it one that you're happy we're going back to? I have to say, I always used to love the San Marino Grand Prix. I mean, it's yes, it was called San Marino, but it's in Italy, so you got the passionate Tifosi there, and it was it was a great race to watch. Um, I'm excited about the fact that also there's one practice session. I mean, the lads haven't been there in. I can't even remember when the last race was, but yeah, it's it's going to be a really good one, I think, or at least I hope. You know, I think the last one was in two thousand and eight or something crazy like that. So for most of the the chaps on the grid, it's going to be a brand new circuit, and they've got sixty minutes to to get it right. So well done to Formula One for trying something new. 
I know we have had a couple of missed Friday sessions along the way, but this time it's been a deliberate move from Formula One to say you've got 60 minutes to set up your car for qualifying and the race. Have at it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Um, and, yeah, not, not just because I could maybe get a bit of a lion on Fridays. Um, I do genuinely think that, I don't know, it's got to a point now where you uh, Friday practice happens and you kind of think, what's the point of it, really? Um, and, I mean, the drivers feel that way as well, you know. A lot of them say that they don't really need it, they don't enjoy it. Um, so, if they don't, then, and the fans aren't too fussed, then why not get rid of it? Um, but, yeah, it should be particularly interesting happening at a circuit that is pretty much a new one for the entire grid, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think maybe Kimi would have driven there in F1, but uh, I think maybe that would be it. But, um, yeah, no, it would be a good one for sure, and it's pretty cold in Italy at the moment so the conditions could play a part again who knows although not getting my hopes up for rain after the pathetic little drops that we got at Portimao um but yeah you know that's just about everything for today we'll be back again next week for hopefully yeah what'll be a great race it's something of a something of a classic track really so um yeah Michelle thanks for coming on yeah always a pleasure Finley and uh thanks to everyone for listening as always um if you enjoyed the podcast and be sure to uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and before the next episode next week, also be sure to check out our social media. Um, our Facebook's Planet F1 and our Twitter is Planet underscore F1 and the website as well, which is just planetf1.com. Thanks again and see you next week. Bye. Kevin Sharkey here. If you love my paintings as much as I do and you'd like to see my new collection, please go to kevinsharkeyart.com or Merrion Square every Sunday, weather permitting. And from the 1st of June, the Sharkey Gallery in New Street Mall, Malahide, will be open seven days a week. For more information, see kevinsharkeyart.com. We accept Bitcoin. Sports Social Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.